The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I hope you do. Find your place in Mark, Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 4. And students and uh, children, you can find uh, this listening guide, this listening program that you can use to follow along in Pastor Patrick's sermon. There's also some neat activities in there if you haven't already done those, and uh, some fruit chews, some gummies, all right. How many of you adults wish you would have gotten some fruit chews, okay? Mark chapter 4, and uh, this morning we're looking at a story in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and I'm speaking on the subject, surviving the storm. Everybody say surviving, surviving. The, storm. the storm. Hey, the reality is in life we're going to face uh, storms both literally like real storms, kids, with thunder and lightning and rain, uh, but we're also going to face uh, other types of storms in life, tough times, difficult times, hard times in life. The Bible teaches us that this will happen. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 12, there Peter said, uh, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial that's come about you in your life. See, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is not perfect. Now, God made a perfect world at the beginning of time, and he created Adam and Eve. He created humankind to live in his world, to know him and to enjoy him. But something has gone wrong with God's creation, and that something is sin. Everybody say that word sin. sin. Because of sin, we have death in life. Because of sin, we have disasters at time. Because of sin, we have disease. Because of sin, we have struggles in life. Because of sin, there is many times confusion and deception People lie and people hurt one another because of sin. And we live in this imperfect world, and because we live in an imperfect world, there will be tough times, there will be trials, there will be hardships, there will be things we could call storms. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, my family and I went on a trip down to Florida, and Laura was driving so that Pastor Patrick could do some work, and we got down around Montgomery, Alabama, just north of Montgomery, and it started raining really hard. Kids, I couldn't even see outside of the car. I couldn't even see the road in front of me. And Laura pulled off the side of the road, and we waited, hoping that the rain would stop and that the storm would quit. But it never quit. It just kept raining really, really, really hard. We were in a storm. How many of y'all have ever been in a storm like that before in your car? So we're, we're in this storm. And then I'm not driving. Do you ever notice, uh, kids, how maybe when dad's driving, mom will give a lot of advice to dad and tell him what to do? So I thought, this is my opportunity. I'm going to give some advice. And I said, I know it will be hard, but why don't we just get back on the road and go real slow and have our our emergency flashers, those blinkers, kids, uh, flashing so that people will see us. And why don't we try to get through this storm? So one time I give advice driving. And guess what? 
It worked. We, we drove just a little bit, and do you know what happened? We realized that we were at the end of the storm. We came to a place where there was no more rain. There weren't the big dark clouds. We could see the road. And we felt a lot safer. We got through the storm, and guess what? In life, we're gonna go through storms. The Bible's promised it, James chapter one, verse three. The book of Job we read, as the sparks fly upward, man is born to trouble. We are gonna have storms in life, and guess what? With God's help, he can give us some advice, and he can help us as we navigate through our storms. Now, some storms will never go away. They'll be with us our entire life, but thanks be to God, he can sit there with us and give us some advice and give us some help. And I believe in the story we have today, we see four ideas or four principles that will help us navigate through the storm, storms of life. So let's look at the story and let's look how God can help us with storms. And let's note this first point. Here's the first principle from our text, from our passage, where the Lord guides, he will provide. Where the Lord guides, he will provide. Now, it doesn't mean he always or automatically will change your circumstances and make everything better, but he will be with you and he will give you what you need. When you're going through that tough time at school, student, someone's mean to you or ugly or somebody's bullying you, you're going through a tough time, guess what? God will be with you and he will help you. The parents, when you're having that struggle and family or in parenting and you don't know what to do and it seems like you're at your wits end and it seems like you failed, guess what? God will be with you and the Lord through Jesus and his word will give leadership. Now look in our passage at verse number 35 and let's look at the story. It says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, and that's speaking of Jesus, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now, the sea was the Sea of Galilee. Everybody say Galilee. Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, very popular sea. In fact, Jesus' disciples, many of them had made a living fishing in the sea. They were really familiar with it. Very popular body of water in their region. It was about six miles across at its widest point, about 15 miles in length. And Jesus here wants to go to the other side of the sea for purposes related to his ministry. And he tells his disciples, let's cross to the other side. We believe by looking at where they started and where they ended that they took about a seven to 11 mile trip across the sea. Any of you kids ever ridden in a boat before across the lake? Well, here Jesus is with his disciples in a boat, and they're traveling about seven to 11 miles across. Verse 36 says, so they left the crowd, and they took him along since he was in the boat. And listen to this key phrase. Mark includes it. And there were other boats with him. So I want you to notice that Jesus initiates. Jesus invites. Jesus starts this whole trip. It's his idea. He invites his disciples to come along with him. Not only do his disciples come along with him, but there's other boats as well. Many of the people in the other boats were perhaps people who were just interested in Jesus' ministry and they hoped that they would get to see him perform a miracle. 
Some of the people in those other boats were probably disciples as well. And they're following Jesus, wanting to learn from him. But I want you to notice this. Jesus starts this trip. Now, we're going to see in a moment that Jesus and his disciples go right into a raging, horrible storm. But Jesus leads them right into that storm. It was Jesus' idea. And we see here a great principle for life. We can always trust Jesus. We can always trust that he is in control. We can always trust that he sees all things and that he is all loving and all wise. Now, Jesus is not the author of evil, but when we are going through hard times, we can trust that he is in control. The psalmist said, when the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And then he answered, the Lord is on his throne. And hear me this morning, no matter what you're going through with your family, no matter what you're going through with your physical body, no matter what you've experienced from hurtful people, you can know this, Jesus is with you, Jesus loves you, and he is in control. Where he guides, he provides. As one has said, where he leads, he feeds. Or as another has said, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Those may sound like cliches, but know this, in the moment of the storm, you can trust that God is good and that he is in control. Preach that message to yourself. Where the Lord guides, he will provide. Is everybody still with me? Say yes. Number two, we see this principle, you can't win with worry. You can't win with worry. Now, just yesterday afternoon, the boys and I played a game of basketball, and we like to play to 21. You got to win by two, and your last shot to win has got to be a three-pointer. Now, I'll have you know that Will and Levi, two-on-one versus daddy, have still not beaten me. <laughs> Undefeated Pettit Creek champion. A couple weeks ago, they got real close. I mean, we were tied up. We were like getting into 23 to 24, and I thought they may beat me. And here's the deal, I told them, if you beat me, it's the last time I ever play with you. <laughs> last night, we played and I won again. I'm still undefeated. Sometimes they may feel like they can't win, but one day they will win, I know it. They're gonna get tall, they're gonna be faster, they've already got some good moves, they can juke daddy out, I can't keep up with them. One day, they will win. Get this, when it comes to worry, you can't win. Worry is this idea of fretting about what's going on in our life, thinking about it in our mind to where we have bad thoughts and negative emotions. Worry involves not trusting in God, but trusting in ourselves and trying to work things out in our mind. Worry is an issue of control. And here we see that the disciples had a problem with this very issue. Look at verse 37. In your Bible, our story continues. It says, okay, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a great windstorm arose. Now, 
that sounds kind of strange to me when I first read that because I heard about the Sea of Galilee and the size of it. I've seen a picture of it on the map. And I think, how could there be a great windstorm on the Sea of Galilee? Well, it's interesting. Follow along with me. The Sea of Galilee was about 700 feet below sea level. The Mediterranean Sea was near the Sea of Galilee. It's about 700 feet below sea level. On the western side, you have the Mediterranean Sea. On the other side, you have this big mountain range called the Golan Heights. And there's actually a mountain there. Any kids ever been to a really big mountain? Last year, our family was in Colorado and we saw Pikes Peak. In this mountain range near the Sea of Galilee, still there to this day, you have this mountain called Mount Hermon, around 9,000 feet in elevation. And so many people say that the Sea of Galilee is like a bowl that sits between that mountain range and the Mediterranean Sea. And winds come down off of that huge mountain range and hit the Sea of Galilee that's like a bowl sitting in this low spot the surface of the earth. And when the winds hit the Sea of Galilee, that's like a bowl, it causes, you see? Do you see my little boat in here? Does everybody see it? There's our boat. The winds coming down to the Sea of Galilee like a bowl, uh, they, they move the waters and they cause great storms. In fact, even to this day, there are still those types of storms there. And the locals, some of them that speak Arabic, use an Arabic word to speak of the storms, and they use the Arabic word for shark. It's such a violent storm. Now, now here, Jesus and his disciples and their other boats, they're caught in the midst of that type of storm. And the Bible says, and the waves were breaking over the boat. That means water was coming into the boat, kids. Now, I'm, I'm not a sailor. I'm not an expert fisherman or boater. I don't have a boat. I've been in a boat before. I don't know a lot about boating, but I know, I know this much at least. Hey, it's not good to get water in the boat, right? If you get too much water in the boat, you sink literally and figuratively, right? So the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. That means it was filling up with water and they were about to sink. But Jesus was in the stern sleeping. How do you like that? They're about to sink. Now they tell us that an ancient boat, now this is a John boat. This is by no means what Jesus was uh, riding in, his disciples were riding in. But in Jesus' day, the front of the boat would have a, a pillow or a cushion that was often used for the fisherman who was getting to take a break. So the other guys are fishing. It's one guy's turn to take a break, and he would many times nap or sleep at the front of the boat on a cushion. Here we see Jesus taking a nap and sleeping even though there's a great storm. Why? Well, remember this about Jesus. Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. 
He was 100% God because God had to come to earth to pay for sin's humanity, but he was 100% man as well because to die for man and woman's sin, there had to be a human sacrifice. Because he was 100% man on this very day as they're on the sea, Jesus was very tired. The physical part of him was exhausted. Go back to Mark chapter 3 and verse 20, and you'll see where the day started. Jesus had a very busy day of ministering. And now here he finally has a break, and he's sleeping. So they woke him up. Disciples see, they see the storm. They see Jesus sleeping. And Mark says, they woke Jesus up, and they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die Now notice the mindset of the disciples. It's one that's filled with worry. They say, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Many would tell us that the Bible here uses language that involves an accusation. They're accusing Jesus, blaming Jesus for something. There's even in the language this rude tone to their speech. Kids are being, they're being ugly to Jesus. Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to let us die. You're going to let us drown. And notice what worry involves. Worry involves forgetting who God is. Worry involves this way of thinking where we think the worst case is going to happen. Did you even notice that? They don't say we might die or we could die or it looks like death is a possibility. They say we are going to die. And this is the essence of worry. It is when we think bad things, negative things about our life circumstances and we forget about God and who he is. It is where we turn life situations into worst case scenario and we want to have control so much so that we'll even have a rude perspective towards God. And know this, you can't win without Worry. One has said that worry is stewing or brewing without doing. It accomplishes nothing. And and Jesus taught us something in that regard. Matthew chapter 6, he said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? That means uh, which of you can make yourself taller by worrying? Worrying adds nothing to your life. We know this, many worry through what's called anxiety. Men often worry, fathers who are here today, through what's called anger. But at the heart of worry, there's a control issue. Wanting to control your circumstances instead of trusting in the one who's in control. And know this, you can't win with worry. You have to have your focus on the Lord and your trust in him. Number three, we see a third life principle here, and I would say this, our text shows us, this story shows us, kids, that Jesus is the king of creation. Everybody say king King. of creation. Verse 39 says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, silence, be still. Now, the, the Bible there, when it says, be still, Jesus, so he, he, with a loud voice, he rebukes. The disciples have been rebuking him. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the sea and he says, silence, 
Be still. The word be still there means to be muzzled. Now, when I was growing up, we had a Doberman Pinscher dog. That's a big dog. You ever seen with the pointed ears? Ours didn't have pointed ears because they forgot to uh, cut his ears. You know, they do that, kids. They cut their ears many times to make them stick up like that. They forgot to cut his ears when he was young and he got too old. So he's this big, huge Doberman Pinscher over 100 pounds with big floppy ears. He looked friendly. but He could be mean. We lived on a, a little acre lot and then we were fenced in and if any other animal ever got into our yard, a squirrel, a rabbit, even a turtle one time, Yogi would many times catch him and kill him. I saw him outside one day. Uh, there was a butterfly. I remember as a kid seeing this. There's some butterflies, and he was jumping up in the air trying to get the butterflies. The yogi was bad about uh, eating things or killing other animals. And one time a neighbor's dog somehow jumped over the fence or crawled under the fence. The yogi got him pinned down. Another time, I was playing baseball with some friends, and I was on first base, and I thought I'd try to steal second base. Well, the pitcher caught me, and they got me in a pickle. You know what that is, where first baseman and second baseman are throwing it back and forth. I'm in between. They're trying to get me out. I, I let out a scream because maybe I was laughing. It was fun. Yogi heard that. He sees two kids chasing the boy who feeds him all the time. Oof, oof. Out comes Yogi ready to take care of business and protect me. My dad said, I think we're going to need to get a muzzle for Yogi. Y'all know what a muzzle is? It's this thing they'll put around a dog to keep it from biting. Now we never got a muzzle for Yogi. But Jesus here uses a word that means to, to be muzzled. Jesus makes the storm go away. The thunder and the lightning stops. The winds quit blowing. And there is complete calm on the ocean, kids. It's as if there was no storm. And what did Jesus prove by doing this? Interestingly, the language that's used here is used in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, to speak of how calm the waters were after Noah's flood. Who calmed those waters after Noah's flood? God. The same language is used here in Psalm 127 to speak of how the Lord is the one who calms the waters. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2, at the beginning of time, that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the surface of the waters. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 6, at the beginning of time, God said, let water appear. And here, Jesus, by calming the waters, shows us that he is the very creator God who made the heavens and the earth. And he has power over all things. He has power over all creation. Now, understand a couple things this morning. Our Bible teaches us, number one, that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He's not just a good moral example for you to follow. He's not just a leader after whom you can fashion your life. No, the Bible here lifts Jesus up as being creator God. There is no God like Jesus. There is no God but Jesus. All world religions, all philosophies are nothingness when compared to our Lord. 
He has a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, Philippians 2. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So get it, Jesus is God. He is king over all creation. But get it also this morning. If Jesus can control creation, certainly he can help you in your circumstances. If he can say to the waters, be still, surely his spirit can move in your troubled heart and bring some calm. If he can say to the sun, moon, and stars, you may appear, exist, let there be light, then surely he can speak his truth into your life that will give you wisdom, grace, to help in time of need. Oh, church, take off the blinders this morning and see who Jesus is. Get your life oriented with him. Put him first in your priorities. Worship him and praise him and make him the center of your life and the king of creation will help you in the midst of the storm. Let me give you one last truth. You still with me? Say yes. We see number four, that faith is the cure for fear. Faith is the cure for fear. Now, kids, do you know what a cure is? A cure is when you're sick and maybe there's some medicine that will help you get better. Maybe you break your arm on the playground, you go to the doctor, and he does some things, puts it in a cast so that it will get better. This morning, Pastor Patrick has had allergies, so I had to take a pill, an Allegra pill for allergies, a little bit of ibuprofen. I'm not totally better, but it's helping. A cure to some degree, if you will. I remember when I was growing up, if I ever got sick, if I ever had a cough, my mom had these different ways she would try to help me get better. Before I would go to bed at night, she would make this drink with some honey and peppermint in it, I hated it. I would pretend I wasn't sick and muffle the cough so I didn't have to drink it. She would put this chest rub on me that was made in her hometown up at some pharmacist up in hills of Kentucky and she'd rub it all over my chest and that was supposed to help me somehow. I remember I had one of my favorite basketball shirts. I went to t-shirts as a basketball shirt from an old event they used to have downtown Atlanta a tournament with a bunch of teams called the Kuppenheimer Classic and I had that chest rub one night and I wore that t-shirt I could never wear that t-shirt again it smelled like whatever that stuff was so you know what a cure is a cure is when you got a problem you need some help now here the disciples have a problem don't they they're in a sea, in a storm they think they're going to die Jesus has calmed the storm, and then listen to what he says in verse 40. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Haven't you seen all that I've done? You've seen my power to heal. You've heard my teaching. You've heard my claims and the claims of others. Even demons have admitted that I'm God. Do you still have no faith? And now, now notice here something very important in the Bible. 
There's two different virtues or emotions mentioned, fear and faith. And in one sense, you can't have one without the other. Faith is the remedy, the antidote, or the cure for fear. Now, know this important Bible lesson. Some people, when they have a struggle in life, they think, (coughs) excuse me, they think, man, I've got to quit doing this thing. I've got to stop it. Maybe they're struggling with bad thinking, and they thought, I've just got to stop it. Maybe they're having jealousy. Okay, I'm going to try to quit being jealous. Maybe they're overcome with greed or desire for things. They think, okay, I've got to stop my greed. The Bible teaches us that that's not how the Christian life works. You can't just stop it. Jesus told about stories of demons being chased out of a house, and he said, you've got to fill that house with good things or else the demons are going to come back, and even with more power. Paul in Ephesians talks about the importance of putting things off in our lives, bad things, kids, but he also talks about the need to put things on. Get this important spiritual lesson. Whatever you're struggling with in life, the only way you can really put it to death is by pursuing the positive thing or the positive virtue, the good thing God wants you to replace it with. And here Jesus reminds his disciples, the remedy to the fear isn't just, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm sorry. We'll stop. Sorry, Jesus. We blew it. No, the remedy to fear is faith. In other words, if you're overwhelmed with anxiety, if you're overwhelmed with worry, if you're overwhelmed with bitterness or anger, if you're overwhelmed with this this desire to control your family or to control people or to control circumstances or to control your future, the way you kill that is by trusting in Jesus. Faith. It's a confidence, a reliance, a trust in him that's what faith is it's not just I believe in God it's no God's got this God loves me God's good God's in control and although my circumstances may not change although things may not get instantaneously better even though I may have this thing without me throughout my life he is with me and I'm trusting in him and though I perish as Job said yet will I trust him faith. So what is faith? It's this idea of confidence. I have my confidence in him. It's this idea of reliance. I'm relying upon him. It's idea idea of trust. I trust in him. Now I'm going to ask my son Will to come up on the stage with me at this time. I would ask uh, another kid, give them an opportunity. I'm not just showing favoritism towards my kid, but I'm going to ask him to do something. I don't know if I want other people's kids doing it with me because they could get hurt. You ready, Will? You ready, Will? <laughs> so we have a boat here, and everybody say, hi, Will. Hi, Will. So uh, Will's a good boy. So we have a boat here. Now, again, this isn't like the, the boat that Jesus uh, would have been in. And there's another story where Jesus asked Peter, right, to get out and walk on the water. That's another act of faith. So I want you to get the idea of what faith is. It's you're trusting, you're relying, you have confidence. And kids, watch this. We'll get up in the boat and stand on that middle section. Now, what if Will needed to get out of the water and swim? What if I was out in the water? Recently, I took a kayak down the Etowah River and I jumped out of my boat to swim. Jumped out of my kayak to swim. 
I was a little bit nervous at first. Like when I jumped down in that water, what's underneath there? Is the current too strong? Now imagine Will was with me and we're out in the water in the Etowah River and I'm swimming and I want to ask Will to swim with me. Would you allow me to do that, Laura? No, okay. But let's just, so let's just imagine, all right? Let's just imagine he's actually there with me swimming. Hey, Will, do you want to swim in the water with me? Yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be fun, right? Are you a little bit nervous about jumping in? Yeah, you're nervous, right? But guess what? Here's what I'll do. If you jump out to me, I'll catch you and I'll help you, okay? You want to jump? You think you can do it? Does everybody think he can do it? All right, jump to me, Will. Come on. Oh, all right. We're in the water. Look at this. Okay. Now, what did Will have to do? He had to trust. He had to believe in his dad. He had to have confidence or rely on him. Now, get the picture for us in our lives and get the meaning of our verse this morning. To survive the storm, we need to always trust that God is with us. And by the way, before Jesus, friend, before he went back to heaven, after his resurrection, you know his last words to you and me? Look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he is our helper, and he's with us. And we need a simple trust that he will catch us and hold us through life, moment by moment, believing in him, believing in his word, trusting in his promises. Will, thanks for your help, buddy. Everybody let me know how much you appreciate him. <laughs> Do you have that faith this morning? Faith in the Christian life, Ephesians chapter 2, starts at the moment of salvation. It is by grace you are saved through faith. Maybe you need that faith. Maybe you're going through a tough time or you know in the future you'll go through a tough time or you've just come out of a tough time. You need faith to survive the storm. And the truth is faith starts at the moment of salvation. It starts at that time in your life where you believe you're an imperfect person made for relationship with God and that Jesus lived and died so that you could have the forgiveness of sins in a relationship with God. Faith starts there. Maybe there's one here this morning. You've never been saved. You've never been born again. You don't know if you're a Christian. You're not sure if you'd go to heaven when you die. Know this, I'm talking about faith. And faith in your life starts here. You need to call out to God. You need to confess you're an imperfect person, a sinner. You need to believe, confess your belief that Jesus was the Son of God. You need to ask him to save you and come into your life. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.